Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. But in a large law firm, um, you're going to learn uh, habits that are going to hold you to a higher standard. And you become more thorough as an attorney uh, in the majority of large firms because uh, clients have the money to pay for this. Uh, the size firm you join uh, has a lot to do with everything. So this is in most cases, but not always going to determine uh, the sophistication of the work you're exposed to and the size of the clients you're working on and the amount of um, the compensation you're capable of earning. So here's some rules to consider. If you move from a larger national type law firm to a smaller local firm, um, you're going to have a difficult time uh, moving to a major law firm again. You know, and, and the reason for that is simply because that's kind of, and I'm, again, I'm not criticizing this, uh, and it's, but that's sort of a, I analyze all the time, uh, and I don't like sharing this kind of information because this is the kind of information that upsets people, uh, and I don't like doing it, but I'm going to do it. But when I analyze um, a lot of people that, that I place, one of the common themes is, and I place a lot of people, uh, is that the, there's an upward trajectory on their resume. So they, you know, they, they, they're, they're often, you know, there's, it, you can move downward. So there's nothing wrong with moving from a big firm to a smaller firm. That happens all the time. But if someone wants to move downward and then downward again, there has to be, a, it has to be framed in a way that it's looking like it's an upward thing. So, you know, they're, maybe they're doing corporate law at a huge firm, and then they move to a smaller firm to do corporate, and then the corporate there's not quite their expertise, so they move to a smaller firm that has their expertise. That would be considered a move up. If you can't frame the moves on your resume as a move up in some respect, like you're moving to a smaller firm to get, to get more business or you're doing something, then that's going to hurt you. Uh, you don't want to do that. You want to you have everything framed in a way uh, you know, that uh, is going to um, make it look like you're moving upward. And the larger the law firm, the more likely you are to become a proficient in one aspect of your practice area and not be a generalist in your practice area. Have you ever seen, by the way, I mean, I hope you have, there are some really freaking awesome attorneys out there. And, uh, and, and you can be exposed to these people a lot of times in law firms. I had a matter once. I remember when I was in this New York law firm, I was working on this tax matter uh, for like three weeks and uh, four weeks. I couldn't figure it out. I gave it to uh, a couple of uh, tax associates in the firm for uh, like two or three days. And they worked on it and they couldn't figure it out. It was something to do with foreign taxation of real estate. I mean, I, it was very complex. I'd done everything I could. I couldn't figure it out. And then finally, we took it to a, this uh, you know, tax partner whose client it was. And he said, sure. Um, he looked at it and we talked to him and he couldn't come up with an answer. But he said, uh, come back. Um, I need to look at this and think about it for uh, an hour and come back and, um, uh, in an hour. So we came back uh, in uh, like 15 minutes because he called one of us and said, uh, and he'd come up with a solution. Well, this is what really smart people do. Uh, I mean, I couldn't believe the solution. It was something where it just was like it cut through everything and just, I don't know, but there's some really freaking smart people out there. And these are the kind of people you can get exposed to when you work in a lot of big firms. And, um, and they work on very sophisticated work. Um, and, um, and, and a big firm is likely to make you a specialist, not a generalist. You need to be an expert in something. Uh, so many people think it's a big deal being a generalist. Uh, the only candidates I'll work with at BCG, by the way, if I look at your resume and you're saying, I'm doing IP and then I'm also doing corporate, well, well, there are crossovers in those practice areas, but okay, I'm doing IP and I'm also doing real estate. No, I'm not interested in you. 
I'm only interested in um, specialists because those are the only people law firms are interested in. It doesn't matter if they're big or small. Generalists, law firms do not pay recruiters for generalists. And you're going to have a much better time getting a job if everything in your resume is consistent. Again, this is one thing that can change the course of your job search and career. If you are a generalist, you're in trouble. Now, that may not be in a smaller market. In some smaller markets, you have to be the generalist to get clients and work on things. Uh, an example would be if you're in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and you're a corporate attorney, you're going to do every type of corporate. And uh, But if you're in New York City, you're going to do one type of capital markets. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, so the, the firm size you're in is going to determine uh, that. Uh, clients, by the way, will pay a lot more money, and you will make more money if you are a specialist, because specialists can cut through stuff just like that tax guy. So back then, uh, when I was uh, working at this firm, that tax guy was like $1,000 an hour, and the associates were, you know, in the hundreds or you know, and because a, a really good attorney understands how to think about things and um, and they're more efficient with their time. That's why New York law firms and stuff and big firms are so expensive. It's not because uh, they're just big brands. I mean, it's because the, they're actually the people there uh, are more efficient with their time and small and they have more work. They don't need to pad their bills. They just got I mean, and, and the smaller the law firm, uh, the less the more likely you are to be a generalist. And if you're a generalist, um, you're going to have skills that are marketable only to smaller firms. So you need to be a specialist. If you want to work with uh, in a good big big firm, uh, you need to be a specialist. And clients pay a lot less money for generalists than they do specialists. I talk to people all the time that are that tell me, you know, that they're generalists and they're proud of it. Oh, I did this contract. I'm helping this person with litigation. And and those sorts of people tend to not get jobs. It's just how it is. I mean, you have to be a specialist. Uh, and larger clients use law firms because large law firms, because those larger law firms have more specialized attorneys that can staff up to handle matters uh, that need a lot of bodies and insights. So uh, larger law firms tend to do much better work than smaller law firms uh, because the larger clients are willing to pay the money it costs to have it done as well as possible. Why wouldn't you want to learn from that? I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, do you want to learn how to do things in an average way or work that's not going to hold up like this example, Silicon Valley versus New York, or, or, or do you, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn? Do you want to learn to be exceptional or do you want to learn to be average? It's up to you. I mean, these are your choices, but at a large law firm, um, you're going to learn uh, habits that are going to hold you to a higher standard than you would be held at a smaller law firm. You look at the work product of some smaller law firms, they can't even freaking write a paragraph without uh, tons of typos. But they, the contracts you know, I've seen contracts in smaller law firms that have multiple sales prices for the same, I mean, it's for the same thing. I mean, it's just, no, this is not how you do things. You know, researching things and double checking work, um, having more sets of eyes go out and anything before they leave the office. So sometimes people leave smaller law firms, big law firms will say, I'm really upset. You know, I don't feel like I'm, you know, getting enough independence. And I, no, you're not getting enough independence because these law firms are set up where junior associates are doing one thing. Mid-levels are looking over the work. Senior associates are looking over the work. Then it goes up to a partner, the final product. I mean, this is because they want to do good work. You're being trained to do good work. I mean, Karate Kid, wax on, wax off. I mean, all these examples are how you make things good is when you have other lots of eyes on things. And you become more thorough as an attorney uh, in the majority of large firms because uh, clients have the money to pay for this. And you should be blessed if you have the opportunity to do busy work in a large law firm because you're learning how to be a good attorney. Do you want to take back control of your legal career? We have a solution for you. Harrison Barnes, the number one legal recruiter with over 20 years of experience, 
hosts weekly webinars followed by live Q&A sessions every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. These webinars are packed with helpful information that you can use to advance your legal career. Best of all, after each webinar, Harrison stays for as long as needed in order to answer every question. I, I was talking to a guy from Skadden not too long ago that was um, working on some case, and he was very upset that, um, or not Skadden, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. And I don't know, he was doing some work for Volkswagen or something, and, some, and uh, he felt like the work he was being given was busy work, and we talked nothing about it. And this is the kind of work you get when you go to a Sullivan and Cromwell, because they're clients are willing to pay for the very best people to do often the type of work. When you go to a big firm, you're likely to be surrounded by high achievers that are smart and they're going to have different insights into what makes you successful and who are very, very motivated and um, understand things. You sh- people pay, people, like there, there are business groups out there and I'll just, people will pay a quarter million dollars a year to, to, so they can associate with other high um, functioning uh, business people. So do they need to charge 250 No. Um, famous story with Tony Robbins that he told me that um, he was young and uh, he was just becoming successful. He made, and I think may have told this last week, he just made friends with uh, some successful director or producer or something in Los Angeles. Uh, they invited him to be part of this group uh, and uh, it was going to cost like two fifty or one fifty or something. And he said, "I don't know if I can swing that." And the guy said, "You cannot afford not to spend the money to be part of this group because if you are part of this group, uh, it's going to change you." And um, so th- this is the same thing with joining these large firms. It will change you. It will give you insights into things and people that uh, you would never get in roots of achievement decisions that high high achievers make that that average people don't. So this is important. Uh, large companies uh, send their work to to, to uh, prestigious large law firms because they know you're going to become more thorough in terms of the work you do, and you're going to. That's why the large companies are getting the work. Uh, smaller firms, the clients are more price sensitive. Their um, the work is more likely to leave their offices with lot, lots of hours. People are lot, not many sets of eyes are going over it. There's less supervision. Uh, it's not as in depth. There's not as many models and things to follow. And, um, and again, small law firms tend to have more generalists. And it means they may not be subject matter experts like you would get in a large law firm. So uh, if you're not an expert in your practice area, uh, it's going to create inefficiencies, um, lots of learning on the job that results in the attorney making errors or less likely to have been made uh, by an attorney or a large law firm. I had an instance that was very exciting to me. So one of my best friends, uh, someone had basically copied his entire website not one of my best friends, one of my old friends, had copied his entire website and he, he was upset about it. So I contacted a partner that I knew uh, at one of my old firms uh, that wasn't a, a, a copyright attorney, he was more of like a general litigator. And he charged him $10,000 to send a letter that said, please take down um, your website. It's in violation of copyright law. Well, that's not what a subject matter expert would have done. And that's really all the letter said. It was one or two lines. I said, why don't you charge him $10,000? He said, well, I had to research the law and, and figure out, uh, you know, why, uh, if it was okay or not. And I was like, well, okay. But then I thought about it later. And, you know, if you just sent it to a copyright attorney, uh, they would have taken, they would have done that. And it would have been $300 or $500. So you become a subject matter expert. And, um, and because of all these issues of working in a smaller firm, and the habits, it's more difficult to move to a larger firm from a smaller one because 
uh, large law firms know that you will pick up uh, bad habits there. And smaller law firms also tend to have lower billing rates. Um, and this makes it much easier for them to bring in smaller clients, build a book of business. So that's actually an advantage for you. Um, and larger law firms, uh, it's often very difficult. You need to bring in uh, huge clients uh, to do that. And um, it's much more difficult uh, to get clients in large law firms and be self-sustaining than it is in smaller law firms. Uh, larger law firms also have uh, institutional clients that uh, many times you don't even need to bring in business. So if you're representing uh, you know, a huge company like Tesla or something, uh, then um, and that's a, the firm's client, that client may be giving millions or tens of millions of dollars worth of work or even more than that to the, to the law firm each year. And so the law firm, if, if that client likes you and you're doing a good job, can afford to make people partner that may be staffed on matters like that. And, and then, of course, larger law firms pay more money than smaller law firms. And smaller law firms typically don't expect as many hours from you as larger law firms. Uh, it's much easier to go in-house from larger law firms than smaller firms um, because companies typically are very sensitive to uh, the, the name. Uh, they want to say our attorney is from, you know, Mayor Brown or one of these other great firms or Kirkland or something. Uh, and uh, that makes them that's a sign of quality. The name carries a lot of weight because they know that 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 person would be very expensive at that large law firm compared to the smaller law firm, and it has a brand. So that's very helpful. And you're also much more likely to stay practicing law uh, for the rest of your career, though, if you join a smaller law firm than a larger one. Um, And then these are some of the advantages of each type of firm. I'm not going to spend a lot more time on this, uh, but, you know, that's just, you know, I mean, I think that those are the advantages and disadvantages. Um, here's another big one, uh, your practice area. So uh, this is huge. Uh, this will, uh, unfortunately, you know, this is going to determine for many people how happy you are practicing law and the later opportunities you're going to have. You know, um, I, I think, you know, just so you understand what practice area is good for you. I honestly, in many cases, don't think it matters. You know, when you look at it, it's kind of funny, but you look at a lot of these Yale law graduates that work in big law firms. And a lot of times they're corporate attorneys and things like that. And then if you look at their background, like they might have studied the classics in college. A lot of people from Yale, for whatever reason, study classics and things like that because um, Yale seems to like that. But then then they go into corporate where, you know, so that I think to some extent the, the practice area you're in is, is important. But at the same time, uh, what I'm about to say applies, but not really. But people tend to very early in their lives will gravitate towards either things that involve math and numbers or verbal and related subjects. So when you were young, you probably uh, preferred either like things like social studies and English and writing and history, or you preferred science and math and things like that. And what they've found in studies, and I, this is the kind of reading Harrison does in his spare time, uh, which I don't really have a lot, but when I go on vacation, I love reading these kind of books, is by the time most of the people are in third grade, uh, it's pretty obvious. Uh, you're more likely to be happiest and most effective uh, if you're a numbers person doing uh, transactional related practice areas like corporate, tax, real estate, executive compensation, ERISA, patent law, and so forth. If you're numbers, if you're um, verbal, you're going to be happiest. Uh, and most productive in things like litigation, you know, labor and employment, environmental, and other things that involve a lot of writing and speaking. So you're either kind of a verbal or numbers. There's It doesn't matter. Uh, whatever one you are uh, is fine. Uh, but most many attorneys who are unhappy with the practice of law are unhappy, in my opinion. Uh, and I gave you the example of Yale earlier, but 
uh, I think a lot of them are unhappy uh, because they're in the wrong practice area. Uh, I remember uh, I, I worked in a firm that uh, my second firm was a New York firm that had a really well-regarded real estate practice. And I would look at the work these real estate attorneys were doing, and that would be like my worst freaking nightmare. Uh, and so real estate is almost kind of transactional in nature too. Uh, and so the practice area you choose is very important because a lot of times numbers people are not going to like all the conflict and drama and that exists in a lot of these verbal practice areas and verbal practice people are going to hate the the tediousness and the and so forth of, a, of being in a transactional practice area. So I do believe that your happiness many times will be dependent uh, practicing law and it's a huge decision which one you join. For me, like litigation is the most obvious. There's no other practice area. That, I mean, it gets me excited and out of bed and I love it. Uh, the idea of it now, I think it's taxing emotionally, but um, I understand it uh, instinctively. But uh, you know, a lot of times people get in the wrong practice areas, completely wrong for their nature. So if you talk about switching practice areas, it should not be like, I want to switch from you know, litigation to uh, labor and employment, you're, you're essentially doing the same thing. It should be like, I want to switch from uh, litigation to tax or litigation to taxes. It's kind of a weird, and you know, I want to switch from litigation to corporate or I want to switch from corporate to litigation because um, it, you're either in a verbal or transactional practice area. And so switching practice areas, I mean, you may want labor and employment because you think it's easier to get business and so forth. But if you're unhappy in your practice area, uh, it's probably because you should be in a transactional practice area or you should be in a litigation-related practice area. And that's really it. It shouldn't be anything different. So you're not, you're not going to be suddenly happier. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, We include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. If you're doing uh, commercial litigation and you start doing um, some other type of litigation, it's not going to change that thing for you. And here's some other certain practice areas, um, considerations as well. Um, Certain practice areas tend to be more social. Uh, and non-social, uh, it's just something to think about. Uh, general commercial litigation is more social than appellate litigation. Uh, I've talked to appellate litigators that I, I knew a guy, Quinn Emanuel, that was a, you know, a Harvard Law School, Harvard Law Review, Supreme Court, not Supreme Court, appellate clerk guy, and uh, became partner at a big firm called well, at Quinn, I think, and then Heller Ehrman. And then, uh, and I talked to him years later, and he was like, listen, man, this I went into appellate. That was the worst decision I ever made. Like I, you know, her, I was talking to people and having fun all day. And then suddenly I'm in an office and it was like the most sterile, like uh, isolating job, you know? So again, it's more social. A uh, corporate uh, is more social than tax many times. So you get out there and do deals, real estate, more social than ERISA because you're talking to people on the phone all day about transactions, patent litigation, more social than patent prosecution. Uh, you know, you get it. Uh, people tend to be either social or non-social. 
On BCG, there are these things called uh, DISC tests, um, D-I-S-C. You should take that on the BCG site if you haven't or take it somewhere else to understand kind of your nature and what you gravitate towards. But sometimes there are certain people that require a lot of interaction with others to be happy. So I've been in opposite sex relationships uh, with people and uh, and I have, uh, I can think of one relationship where the person uh, I was with only felt good about themselves and excited when they were out meeting people and socializing because they, that's what made them exciting. Well, for Harrison, my source of excitement is uh, often, you know, studying matters like I'm talking to you about today or uh, working on our database and, uh, you know, and, but it's not being social. It's, it, it's more uh, non-social. And again, I'm, you shouldn't hate me because I'm not as social, but then the point is that certain people are motivated and get comfort out of uh, being around others. Certain people don't like that's the opposite. Like they feel suddenly unhappy and uh, you know, introverted people get their strength from working alone and being self-reflective and social people, the opposite. So you need to be in a practice area that's to your nature. There's no, books out there about the benefits of being an introvert, um, social people. You just need to make being a practice area that takes advantage of your skills, either verbal or non-verbal, verbal or non-verbal, social or non-social uh, are really the main considerations. Um, and getting business is important. Uh, so your choice of practice area is going to determine um, often what happens to your career. Uh, it's easier to generate business as a corporate real estate or a patent or employment attorney, this is a litigation attorney. For a corporate attorney, all you need to do to generate business is just start going out and meeting with businesses, not even asking for business. Just talk to them, see how they're doing, what's going on, make friends with business people. Uh, same thing with real estate, start going out and talking to real estate investors and developers and patents, same thing, find inventors, employment, start talking to people. I mean, it's really that easy. This is all these people do. There's no secret to being a business generator. It's just going out and finding people you can talk to that have the kind of work you do, not even asking them for business, just talking to them because when they need work, they're going to think of you just being their friend, giving them advice and they're going to feel indebted. That's all these people do. There's no magic to getting business. Again, this is one insight that could change the course of your life right now. If you want to get business, just go out and find people that have the type of work and set up meetings with them and don't even pitch them. Just talk to them and see how they're doing and what's going on meet with them. That's what the best people do. I had an experience once. I used to own these buildings in um, Pasadena. And uh, this is a true story. It's very funny, by the way. And there was this guy that was, I don't know, he was based in San Diego. And he was the, um, people call him like the most successful, maybe San Diego Orange, the most successful uh, commercial real estate agent in America or something. And this guy, like clockwork, and again, I didn't even know that much real estate back then. I mean, it was, I don't know. 20, 30 million. I mean, that's a lot, I guess, but it wasn't anything crazy for compared to the kind of people that are out there. This guy would um, call me and just, uh, and say, Hey, can I come see you? Like every six months, like clockwork, I'd be like, sure. He'd come and sit down, talk to me, tell me, give me some report on how the market was doing, ask me about my family. I was like, what the hell's, and this is all this guy did. And this is how he was able to get so much business. It wasn't because, and again, there was nothing particularly impressive about this guy. He wasn't like some salesman or anything. He was just checking on how I was doing. This is all these successful attorneys do to get business. They just find people that have, and this guy identified me at that point as someone stupid enough to buy all this worthless real estate in Pasadena that I sold without making any money. 
um, you know, or actually lost money. But uh, the point is that, uh, you know, smart. I mean, this is what smart people do. This is, and again, I know partners that have huge books of business and ones that, and the more they do this, the more business they have. This is all you need to do to get business, guys and girls. If you want to be successful, this is all you need to do. Um, litigation attorneys, it's much harder to get business. They need, they do the same thing. So they find people that get sued a lot, of course, you know, it's, it's often uh, more difficult for them to get business. And, uh, but it's very easy to get business in these other practice areas. Uh, these, I mean, I know a patent attorney, I was working with a patent attorney years ago that had a, or a patent agent, not even an attorney that had like a three or $4 million book of business. Listen to how stupid law firms are, by the way, he wanted to take his business a law firm that would um, just give him a shingle over his head. And I couldn't find, he was in a Midwestern market. I couldn't find anybody to give him, and he was making um, a lot of money from this business. No one would give him uh, a job because they were afraid he would make more money than the attorneys, even though they would make millions from his business. I mean, it's just really dumb decisions. Uh, but anyway, a lot of the work that, uh, that um, litigators do, by the way, comes from uh, corporate it comes from real estate, it comes from patent, and it comes from employment attorneys. So if you want to get work as a litigator, you should make friends with people in firms that do nothing but corporate. You should make firms with uh, attorneys in real estate firms that do nothing but real estate and so forth. This is a very easy way for you to get business. Again, this is one piece of advice that's going to help you. Quinn Emanuel grew by saying we're only going to do litigation and going out and making friends with uh, people at Latham that had that didn't have you know that didn't want to do certain types of litigation cases and had corporate work friends of firms that were doing only corporate or only real estate and they started getting all these referrals. It's very easy to build a firm, guys and girls. It's very easy to get business. You just need to make these kind of decisions that are smart. Again, this insight could change the course of your career, and there's going to be many more uh, over the course of this webinar. And there's fewer opportunities depending on uh, the practice area. Litigation is is hard. But um, it's not always, uh, you know, they're not always in the most demand in law firms. But again, large litigation matters, law firms love. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, um, you know, during bad markets where litigation's bad, it can be very hard sometimes for litigators to get jobs. Um, and the other problem with litigation, there's, there's a bunch of problems with litigation. But the other problem with litigation is uh, it's very difficult for litigators to stay employed uh, beyond your eighth or ninth year uh, at litigation in most firms, unless you have business, uh, can be very difficult because the work is not as predictable as it can be with corporate, where you're getting kind of getting work over and over and over again. So it can be much more difficult to stay employed um, as a litigator, uh, and people do it. But uh, you know, getting business as a litigator certainly is not impossible. You know, I, another point I just want to make about your choice of litigation, and that would be as a commercial litigator, is. If you want to get a job in a big firm as a litigator, uh, things like clerkships, uh, order the coif, and uh, you know all those things at quality of law school are important. Uh, the reason they're important is because uh, people, a law review uh, with those skills tend to be better writers. They tend to, you know, you can't, there's no test for the quality or the ability of writing uh, other than those sorts of things. Um, so those show that you have really good skills and, um, and and so law firms are more likely to be interested in you. Corporate, of course, is uh, much more in demand if you choose that in major cities um, and is a good practice here to go in house with. Uh, but it still slows down to a complete standstill during recessions and a lot of people lose jobs. Uh, it's much easier to last longer as a corporate attorney in a major firm uh, than it is as a litigator. So 
Uh, corporate attorneys certainly get laid off, uh, but when you get more senior, you know how to do deals and things, uh, law firms. So once you get to your fourth or fifth year as a corporate attorney, uh, it, it, you're less likely to get laid off. So let me tell you a little bit about how that works. So most practice areas take between one and five years to learn what you're doing. Uh, general, like trademark, you know, just trademark, buying and trademark might take a year to really know what you're doing. But And a tr- good trademark attorney would argue longer. But I'm just saying certain practice areas, not that long. Uh, other And that's why they have a lot of paralegals, for example, doing trademark filings in, in law firms as opposed to attorneys, because it's something that is skilled that can be learned fairly easily. Not That's not to say trademark litigation is not as complex as any practice area, because trademark litigation is different. But in most practice areas, it's going to take about five years to learn what you're doing. And so same thing with corporate. Until you have about five years of experience, uh, and you're not going to be really good at being a corporate attorney uh, in a way that uh, a partner that's competent would trust you with work. And, and so, and, you know, three to five years, you, you kind of know what you're doing. So if you're a junior corporate attorney, um, law firms are going to uh, be very uh, happy to lay you off during a recession like we're having right now because you don't know what you're doing. You need a lot of training and they don't have the money to do that. Uh, whereas you get more senior, you become very, very valuable. Law firms will often have lots of senior corporate attorneys even 20-year associates as corporate because the skill they have is so valuable. And there's fewer well-trained corporate attorneys is, is kind of the issue. Other practice areas like tax, white-collar litigation, employment, things are also good practice area choices, but there's also going to be very few openings for attorneys uh, in most markets in those practice areas. So that's just something to think about. Very difficult for white-collar litigators to get jobs in big firms coming out of the U.S. Attorney's Office or other firms. Uh, same thing with tax, big firms, ERISA, employment. Uh, actually, employment's not that hard, but uh, it's just something to think about, uh, but it can be difficult. Uh, real estate, patent, employment are typically, and I'm going to rush through this a little bit because I know not everyone's interested in this particular part of the presentation, but uh, real estate, patent, employment are typically in demand in most markets at most points in time. And uh, real estate can come to a complete standstill when interest rates are high. But again, that's a practice area where I think if you know what you're doing, it can be fairly easy to get business. Uh, real estate right now, is very, by the way, is very, very slow. Um, I know of very successful real estate attorney in Los Angeles. And uh, he was telling a friend of mine recently uh, that was doing some sort of deal that you're the only deal I have now right now. And this guy's got like 50 plus attorneys in this firm uh, and a very good attorney. Uh, So, uh, you know, um, these things can slow down and, you know, and beyond your 10th year practice, it can be difficult to stay employed in a real estate patent and some of these other practice areas there. It's much easier for patent attorneys with physics, computer science, and electrical engineering to get jobs than it is for those with biology, chemistry, or, you know, uh, that. I mean, that's something most patent attorneys know. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 